You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. And this is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. Pastor. Dr. Robin, I have missed you. It's been a couple weeks. Things, it has. Things things have been happening on this end and on your end. Yes. Um, anxiety got me one week and a non-COVID bug got me the other week. Yes. It's all right. It's all right. We are back. We're ready to do this. Um, we have successfully lived through my uh, trip around the sun this year and yep. got to celebrate with one another IRL here in Chattanooga, yep. which was amazing to have you and your partner here for my birthday. And we celebrated with a house concert, live music being one of our favorite things to share together. Yep. Live music and you know, taking down supremacists and bourbon. Like that feels like our three, that might be our top three uh, favorite things to do together. Um, Let's not forget the cheesecake that we had. True. The cheesecake was pretty epic as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm, I have missed this and I'm glad that we're back in the groove and we have migrated our podcast over to our new media group. And so we're in community with more irreverent outlaw folks. Yes. Yes. That's for, exciting. for any of you that listen to the intro and don't skip through it, you definitely heard a new intro to the podcast this week. And so we hope that you have enjoyed that change up for uh, the activist theology podcast. And yeah, there's a lot happening for us here in the middle of the, in the middle of the, the year. And yeah. it's exciting and Yet, you know, we are also uh, starting to both feel very busy, yeah. very um, overprogrammed, very much like our schedules are uh, less in our control than we would like. And so, um, tis the season. Tis the season. But I, I will say that in just about 12 days, it's going to be half Christmas. It is going to be half Christmas in just about uh, 17 days. It's also going to be your trip around the sun. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is happening. That is happening. Half Christmas and your birthday. um, Lots of good things happening in the month of July. And so it's a, it's a good month for both of us. And I'm glad to be back on the airwaves with you and for us to be continuing to have this conversation with our amazing listeners. Yeah. And today we've got a really exciting episode, I think, that is going to snack, crackle, pop, everybody. 
We shall see. We shall see. But I am optimistic that this is going to be exactly what we need it to be. We are welcoming into this space um, author Dante Stewart. Um, Dante is um, a an amazing human who finds himself just a little south of us in Georgia. Uh, the three of us are uh, southern sitting folks, um, riding riding the times out in in the south, and um, we are we're really thrilled that Dante is joining us, and we're going to talk a little bit about his upcoming book. We're going to talk a little bit about the work that the two of you have in common and uh dante is a preacher like me so um i have a feeling that uh there will not be any one of us on this episode that will be at a loss for words over the i mean next- i mean we might have an altar call you never know we might you never know folks you might as well just seatbelt yourselves in if you're in your car make sure you have your seatbelt on if you're sitting at home just make sure you're sitting down because uh there are any number of things that could happen during this episode and the last thing i want is for you to be scrubbing your toilet while you're listening to this podcast and uh just find yourself uh laid out on the floor uh prostate before the lord so um we will uh we will uh get going here Dante Stewart, it is really, really wonderful to welcome you to the Activist Theology Podcast. Hey, what's up, y'all? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's good? Good to have you here. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. I've definitely, uh, Dr. Robin, from, from afar, definitely benefited tremendously uh, from your work and, 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 and your voice. Um, and I'm just grateful to be here. So, yeah. Great. Well, um, you want to tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days and where you find yourself and what gets you going? Yeah, for sure. Well, I am particularly situated within my office right now. Uh, it is July the 13th, uh, about, uh, let's see, 324. I just got my daughter down to sleep. And so that is a win for me. Uh, let's see. Uh, what am I doing these days? Well, um, we're, we're actually right now at a church I'm on staff on. Um, uh, we, we're on a kind of collective ministry sabbatical. So during the month of uh, ju- uh, ju- during the month of July, we we as a staff kind of take two weeks off, nice. um, where we just you know kind of decompress uh, and, and and get away um, or whatnot. And then uh, during this two weeks, it's been a lot of kind of stuff on the back end for my book. So I've been kind of busy and things like that. And I just finished my perspectives yesterday. Uh, okay. Thesis. So that was kind of fun and had my advising appointment and signed up for my classes for the fall. So great. Doing that and family. So I'm married and uh, me and my wife, we're, we're here. She's in the Air Force. And so I'm pretty much, you know, every, every every morning I'm up around, you know, 4, 45, 5 o'clock and working out and then planning my day and getting my coffee and, and, and reading and meditating and, and kind of doing work and writing. And then after that, I'm on with my day, dropping my son yeah. off at daycare and then taking care of my daughter and trying to do some work in the, in, in, in between naps and yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. Why well, I, I first found you on Twitter and um, was very intrigued with, 
what I call thinking out loud on Twitter and um, found your tweets to not just be apt for the moment, but an invitation to think at a higher level, um, at a different level than just um, consuming entertainment, if you will. And um, so I've appreciated your Twitter feed and am a follower of yours and um, excited to be in conversation with you here. I always like talking with scholars of color who are who've got their their one foot in the academy and one foot in the church and hands and feet on the ground. And that's really what this podcast is all about, translating theory to action and theology to praxis. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got three preachers in the house. Uh, we've got people of color here and, um, and, and we're going to get going as fast and as furious as we can. Uh, let's just give the listeners a little bit, a little, um, a little bit about your book. I know that we're not going to spend the whole time talking about it, but I want people to know that you've got a book coming out uh, and I want people to buy your book. And so can you tell us the, the title of the book and just a little bit about what it's about and then we can move on to, to other issues? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. So uh, my book is entitled Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle. Uh, and if anybody follows me, they know, they know, you know, that I, I, I absolutely adore James Baldwin uh, for more ways than one. Um, and so one of the things that I as even as I was kind of kind of, you know, going through those talks about my title and things like that. So original title uh, was The Cage Bird Still Sings, Being Black in the Anti-Black World. And they was like, ah, that's a little too close to Maya. And I'm like, yo, I'm a good writer. But like, they was like, nah, nah, that's too close. He ain't on that level yet. So I was like, I bet. So I went back to the drawing board um, and things like that. And so uh, I, uh, it just hit me one day as I was reading, um, the, the, the story of the three Hebrew boys and, and, and it just, I mean, that title just like literally dropped in my spirit. Um, and I'm Pentecostal too. So let me situate myself, uh, that way kind of as a theological orientation, you know, I'm, as I'm, I'm, I'm very much Pentecostal. And so, you know, fire as a metaphor, as I think about my upbringing and things like that, fire as a metaphor was, was just incredibly formative, um, as it relates to, um, you know, as it relates to, um, uh, just like service and service titles. So we have like, you know, midnight cry and Holy ghost fire and things like that. Uh, but it was also, you know, a nod to Baldwin's the fire next time. Uh, when I, so shouting right. the fire an American epistle is definitely, you know, at a 30,000 foot level, you know, it's me wrestling with those identities of being black and young and Christian and yeah. trying to wrestle with the ways in which those identities intersect you know, in kind of the, some of the most beautiful and terrible ways possible. Yeah. Um, and so it is a hella black book. It's a yeah. hella Pentecostal book. Um, but I think it's a book that many people will resonate with, especially as I think about themes of, you know, the body, as I think about themes of wombs and as I think about themes of terror and, uh, 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 you know, citizenship and what it means to be American yeah. uh, and what does it mean to catch your breath and to be suffocated. Uh, and I weave these things in, the, in, in, in this very, I think, kind of beautiful and creative and compelling memoir 
of of my life kind of over the last few years through a collection of essays. Um, so yeah, shot in the fire in American epistle. So, you know, it's like that. And, and an epistle, you know, is a nod to the kind of epistolatory form. Yeah. You know, not, not only as a nod to my Christianity, uh, but also a nod to, you know, black writers and the yeah. tradition that I come, come from black writing and black writers have always used the kind of epistolatory genre as a way of communicating, uh, you know, a certain type of black interiority and subjectivity. Uh, as a place of kind of creative reflection uh, uh, as we think about our own lives as black people within the world, but also the kind of love letter that we want to write to ourselves uh, uh, amongst ourselves. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, this this conversation that transcends our lived realities yeah. that, that kind of can be picking up, picked up and, and carried over generation after generation. And so hopefully, I hope, you know, like five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, you know, people are able to come back to Shouting in the Fire uh, and, you know, they can generate, you know, you know, a certain type of love and liberation from it. But, you know, hopefully by that time, you know, I'm able to, you know, like rewrite it and revise it. Right. Uh, it's the beginning of this conversation with myself and with the world and kind of with my faith. I mean, with my experiences. So, yeah. And let us know when it's going to drop. Uh, October 12th, 2021. Uh, bright and early. Yeah. So go, go pre-order the book. Go to your independent bookstore. We like bookshop.org. Uh, which will tell you where your independent bookstore is. I know Karis Books in Atlanta, Georgia is a great feminist bookstore. Um, find your Black-owned bookstore. But friends, go out and check out that book. I can't wait to read it when it drops. Um, looking forward uh, to it. I love the fact that you are kind of reclaiming and embracing the concept of the epistle in in this title and kind of the use of uh, literary works as letters or kind of series of letters to um, to others. It it harkens for me this um, kind of invitation for us to be in community with one another. I mean, so often we think of letters as a, as a, or even epistles uh, as what we, from those of us that are, you know, born and raised in the Christian church as something that's kind of a, a one way or a one sided conversation, this um, edict or this uh, letter to, uh, in order to share and, mm -hmm. and instruct and guide and, and then kind of, uh, people receive it on their end and and kind of take with it what they want and leave the, the parts that they don't. And yet, in truest for, in our in its truest form, the epistle is a, a conversation within community. It's mm -hmm. it's an invitation from one side of the pen or the keyboard uh, to the other side of the recipient to really kind of engage in a communal conversation around thought and process and ethic and guidance. And so I really love the fact that you have kind of re-embraced the, 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 the theme of writing an epistle um, in this oh, yeah. day and age and, and engaging with that. And I wonder if you could kind of share with us a little bit about the community that you find yourself in now. Um, mm. What is the community that um, you, uh, engage with in real time right now mm -hmm. in, in your work? I know you said you're on kind of a two-week uh, July summer sabbatical, but what does community look like for you? And and how are you finding that 
um, engagement and that interaction um, with your community to really kind of guide you in, in the work that you're doing in the world? Yeah, that's a good question. Incredible question. So um, as I think about where I'm kind of socially located and culturally situated uh, or, or whatnot, I, I, I am, you know, on staff, I am a minister at a progressive Black Baptist church. Um, and so I'm in the Progressive National Baptist Convention. Um, and so that's the religious community that I'm uh, in. And uh, the kind of social community I'm in is, you know, of course, we all got to kind of you know, spaces and social media that, that, you know, that we are kind of situated in. So, right. I mean, my social space is more like, you know, I, I, I mean, it's more like young black millennials. Uh, uh, so a lot of people, well, this is the kind of crazy part about it is like, you know, since, since people know that, you know, I was in the evangelical church for a long time. Um, I think people assume that my community is like white ex evangelicals. Uh, whatnot, but that's just not my space. <laughs> so I don't have anything against that space. It's just like a lot of the, you know, conversations that people are looking for and, and, and desiring and things like that and resonating with just, you know, that's just not my space that I'm in. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm in, I mean, you know, black, you know, young, young black millennial spaces, Gen Z spaces uh, and things like that. And so, you know, the ways that these things, that these communities really guide my work is that, especially as we talk about theology and, and thinking about, you know, you know, our Christianity, a lot of the times, you know, when I was in the evangelical space, a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of the conversations were pretty much reduced to, you know, this kind of apologetic bent, you know, seeing life as an academic endeavor and, you know, seeing people's humanity reduced to a theology and whether or not that theology you know, um, is, 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 you know, rhetorically, you know, as a, as a kind of generative rhetoric, you know, in line with a kind of received tradition or an inherited tradition. And so, you know, most of the kind of life of the community is centered around how much one can approximate to a certain type of theological narrative. And so that's just, that's just not the space that I'm in right now. And it's kind of, you know, those, that idea of questions is, 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 has, changed tremendously for me, especially as I think about, you know, particularly around, you know, LGBTQ, you know, and, and being in a black progressive space regarding LGBTQ uh, uh, um, um, reality, because I don't even want to call the issue. Uh, I think, you know, you talk, start talking about people's humanity, you know, we, we can't, you can't simply say, you know, once humanity is reduced to an issue is not, but, you know, really shaping that lived experience and then even me kind of looking at the ways in which my own experience of marginalization can intersect in some sense, you know, and converse uh, with others experience of marginalization and, 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 and kind of the inhumanity that we're forced to deal with. You know, a lot of times it's like, you know, how can, you know, how can we just live every single day beyond the logics of whiteness? How can, you know, we live beyond you know, the, 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 the limited imaginations of so many kind of that, that, that white evangelical way of being together. And so the community I find myself in definitely changes the way I even approach, you know, my own faith, approach uh, the questions of my faith, approach to the, the kind of lived experience as, as a writer and, and kind of the, the ways I'm trying to write. You know, as a writer, yeah, I want to I wanna be the best type of writer I can be and being the best type of writer I can be means that, you know, I'm going to have to like think about writing to my cousins, 
And I can't just like be writing to, you know, my advisors, you know, and my, my teachers. Right. I gotta, I gotta figure out ways how to take, you know, the theory, the, the, the kind of theoretical side that I'm reading, whether that's, you know, you know, how can I take Jesus and Judith Butler and, right. and, and, and put Jesus and Judith Butler in conversation with one another that my cousins can understand. Right. Uh, that can be, you know, formative and transformative. Or how can I take, you know, the kind of work around James Baldwin and Tony K. Bambara and, Shoot, uh, June Jor and, and and just all these great, brilliant black writers and, and get it in ways and put it in ways and weave it in ways in my own writing, you know, that makes that literature come alive and, and, and open up a, t- a place of exploration rather than simply, you know, that, that kind of, you know, rote memory or I guess right. uh, Paulo Freire or Freire, whoever, depending on where you're from in the United States, is going to determine right, how you right. say his name. Yeah. Uh, uh, whatnot. That, 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 just looking at, you know, banking versus transformative type of work. And I'm not really trying to work in which people can recall names or just, you know, recall concepts. But I'm, you know, trying to do as best I can in joining Jesus in my community um, in my family, in this kind of social space, uh, in this work of, you know, what he says in John 10, 10, I've come to have life and that may ha- that people may have life to the full. And, you know, as I, as I think about life, I think life for, for, for many of us will look different, but I think as I think about my work, I want to intersect people. I want people to intersect with black life, um, and see the ways in which, as Terion Williamson, the black feminist uh, scholar, would say that the black world, that, that black world making is as much a starting point as a, as a generative and transformative starting point as any other. So, yeah. yeah, I love that. And how how difficult sometimes that can be in coming from a world of academia into this space of trying to um, kind of manifest a conversationality that that can really, you know, tr- uh transpire across those bounds. I mean, Robin and I talk about that often, this, you know, this kind of understanding of academia in one way and and really trying to navigate through past and sometimes even kind of without or with it behind us to a point where um, there there's no there's no break or no no status that that feels um, as if the work that we're doing in the world is unattainable um, or inaccessible for, for others. And so I love that you, mm. I love that you say, you know, you, like you need to write for your cousins. You need to write for, for whoever it is that, um, that really, you know, is going to access the work um, outside of this kind of academic realm. Yeah. Heck yeah. Cause like on the real, like my boys, like, like my dudes uh, that I grew up with a lot of them, uh, many of them, um, you know, many of us went to college, <laughs> so I don't want to, I don't want to, I want people to look at black life in, in honest ways as possible. You know, many of, of course, us, of course, yeah. black dudes went to college. We played football, we played sports, uh, but many of us, you know, did end up going to prison. And one of my, I thought about it. One of my friends, he actually just got out of prison uh, from doing 10 years in prison. And, you know, we would uh, communicate, you know, as he was in prison, I'm writing to him, you know, messaging him, trying to get uh, books to him and things like that. And for me, you know, like if 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 my boy can't like read something and resonate with it and, and, and things like that, then then I know I'm not doing the right type of work. You know, I, I, I need I need I need I need my boy uh, to, to 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 really, you know, resonate with that and can feel like, you know, yeah, like like that's meaningful. You know, that's meaningful content. That's meaningful writing for me. And so I think, 
you know, we collectively got to try and, you know, in some sense, allow people to be invited into a space where they have a meaningful experience. That doesn't mean that they're going to always have the right experience or have, you know, a, a, a great experience. But, you know, it's like it's, it's like we need meaningful experience. So like when people say, you know, what's the best book you've read in the last year and things like that? That's hard to say. The, the conversation changes when you say, OK, what's the most meaningful book? That you right. read in the last year, you you're able to talk about your your, your experiences with it. You know, it right. generates a whole, like you said, like I was saying, you know, a whole type of story. And I think you know that's the thing. You know, as writers, as communicators, as professors, as thinkers, as intellectuals, as artists, you know, we want to figure out, you know, how can people have meaningful experiences as it relates to the work that we're doing. A lot of people don't know this story, but when I turned in my manuscript draft for activist theology, they very quickly wrote back and said, this is not the book that we will publish. And they went on to say, uh, no one is going to understand this book. Now, in my defense, I had just finished my PhD, and so I was still speaking in a register in a linguistic register that is a foreign language for people. And, you know, for anyone who has not read certain continental philosophers. So I had to rewrite the entire book. And my editor, Paul, said, what is the book that you want to write? And I said, well, I want to write about how theology is story. And how theology is all around us. And he said, well, then write that. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to the drawing board, which at the time was a MacBook Air. And I rewrote the entire book. And mm -hmm. now you have the book that, that you have. Uh, it's still academic. Uh, there's still things in there or a texture or a consistency that is of the quote intellectual class. Um, but there is something to taking story and trying to um, enliven story with theology and ethics, because after all, everything we do, every, all of our behaviors, all of our social practices comes down to a value system. And so, you know, I keep leaving the academy, I keep leaving the church, I keep leaving the movement for a better story. Um, and, it, and I keep being drawn back in to these three sites of knowledge production, because there is something really beautiful happening in these three sites. Uh, I don't, we've not got it right. Uh, I'm hoping that my next book is, you know, it's another feeble attempt to talk about theology and ethics from the place of democracy and bodies and embodiment. I hope I get a little bit closer on, on this next one. But uh, I know that before we got started, Dante, you wanted to talk about a couple themes that I t spent a lot of time talking about. Uh, one of those being rupture. And I feel really curious about how you, uh, find this term rupture and what do you do with it and how does it land in you in your body mm -hmm. yeah when i when i first you know when i first even came across you know 
you know, rupture as a metaphor or becoming as a metaphor. You know, and back to what you were saying, you know, so much of how we kind of interact with the world and think about the world, you know, is centered around story or uh, C. Wright Mills. I've been going through um, um, I've been going through uh, some of the uh, kind of foundational sociological texts from my undergraduate years. Uh, so I hit my uh, department chair up and I was like, yo, you got to give me all the text that we that, that we uh, you, that we used back then. So um, so I can kind of go through it and things like that. And so see uh, right Mills, uh, when he's talking about that, that that interaction between biography and history. Yeah. And that oftentimes, you know, that intersection is, 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 is in very much sense a story. It's the story yeah. of, you know, how our own lived experience converses with the history that we inherit, the present that we're living in and the future that we're trying to imagine possible. And so as I think about this idea of rupture, my mind immediately, I mean, it, you know, in my, in my Twitter bio, my Instagram bio, uh, it's like, yo, giving you Jesus and James Baldwin. Yeah. And that idea of rupture Im- immediately takes my mind to both Jesus and James Baldwin, but also, yeah. you know, it takes my mind to my, my black Pentecostal upbringing. And so as I think about, like I was reading today in my devotion in, in, in Mark's gospel and Mark tells the, Mark tells this story of Jesus coming back to his hometown, the, uh, those seeing the one who was paralyzed and, and, and opening up the roof to let uh, uh, to let this paralyzed person inside of the room just so they can be in close enough proximity with Jesus so that they would experience a sort of rupture in their lived experience. And so Jesus was all about, in some sense, uh, break. when I think about rupture, I think about breaking open. And, uh, and, and Jesus, in some sense, is always trying to rupture these inherited sociological, political, and religious themes that look more like marginalization whether than liberation and love. Yeah. And so one who was left out inside of the society both in the uh, so uh, in the political community and the religious community, Jesus is trying to rupture and break open their stories so that a better future may be possible. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about James Baldwin and even the work that I'm trying to do around Baldwin, Let's even just think particularly about the fire next time. And so for Baldwin, as I think about the fire next time, you know, that that beginning of the fire next time, the first half of the fire next time is this letter to his nephew. And then the second half of the fire next time is, in some sense, a letter to America. And, and, and under that kind of broad framework of a letter to America is both a letter to black folk and a letter to white folk. And so you kind of get, you know, this very intimate space where Baldwin is almost being invited into a place of prayer. And yeah. he is inviting us into the holy sacred space of black life between his experience as a as a black gay man uh, inside of this society, inside of the church, inside of his own family. But then he also looking at the vulnerabilities of black life in general, especially as he thinks about his own brother. Uh, yeah, his, his own brother and the ways in which like what the world has done to him or even he's talking about this intimate space between his life and his family life where he talks about this idea of love and that had we not love one another, 
none of us will survive. So therefore you must survive. There must be a rupture within your own lived experience as you think about the ways in which your world wants to tell you what black life is and what black life is worth. And so he goes into uh, uh, the second half, letter from a letter from a region in his mind. And so in some sense, Baldwin invites us into this own kind of inner reckoning and rupture. This breaking up. You say in your book that rupture is not always a bad thing. And it is not. Rupture can represent for us a place of imagination as we're trying to make sense of ourselves, as we're trying to make sense of our experiences, as we're trying to make sense of what's going on around us so that we have a place to stand, uh, not only have a place to stand, but that we offer something better than so much of what is held out for us. And so as I think about this relationship of rupture in Jesus and James Baldwin and my Black Pentecostal experience, I can but think about, I can't help but think about the Holy Ghost, uh, you know, I was I was reading in, uh, as uh, in, in 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 class this this semester. Uh, we we when we were doing our annotated bibliographies, there was this really 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 good essay. Uh, I think it was by Douglas uh, Field, if I'm not mistaken, called Pentecostalism and all this ja- and all that jazz. And it's it's kind of trying to. Uh, trace James Baldwin's religion and his theological imagination within his literature. And one of the things that he shared was that, you know, Pentecostalism for Baldwin was not just simply, you know, a kind of out there or part of his work. You know, right. people talk about Baldwin's literary genius, his political astuteness, you know, just how like like when you read them, how you feel, you, you don't just feel like. Like, oh, man, we, we can really, you know, resist this thing and, and break down settler colonialism and imagine liberation. But you also get this very intimate space of Baldwin. And so Baldwin is not just a literary giant in that in that in, in that front. But Baldwin very much is, in some sense, a Pentecostal preacher. Though he left the church, his 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 pen became his pulpit and right. the world became a worship service where one can encounter the holy and the sacred uh, in the everyday goings of life. Yeah. And so, you know, I think as I think about this idea of rupture, that's even what I'm trying to do. It's like I'm trying to make sense of where I come from. I'm trying to make sense of the things that has happened to me and happened to my wife and it's happening to black folk around us and even the stories that I'm intersecting, you know, within my church community, within my social community. And I'm trying to figure out how can we merge this idea of rupture with resurrection? Yeah. How can we take that which is dead and seems dead, that which is dying and try and bring about some type of life that in some sense can be formative and generative for us and in some sense can make us feel as people seen, love, inspire and protected. So, yeah, that's kind of the ways that rupture kind of hit me. Yeah, that's the beginning of a conversation for me. Yeah, I, you know, I like that. And I, I have been thinking a lot about uh, the resurrection, uh, specifically as the Gospels uh, account the resurrection of Jesus uh, through memory. Uh, and and for me, rupture becomes a kind or a quality of confession mm. and confessing to uh what is remembered or what is being able to put back together Um, and resurrection, whether or not you believe in the literal resurrection of, of a body um, we can live a kind of resurrected life in the now 
we don't have to wait for the dead to be among us, but mm. we can have a kind or a quality or a texture of memory of mm. what has come before us to, to live in a, in a, in a manner or, or to live an orientation that, that, um, it, you know, accelerates the kind of world we want to inhabit. Mm. Uh, this is where I think of people like James Baldwin, uh, the great writers who have come before us, who have tried to tell us time and time again. They've confessed to us uh, the sins of the world. Mm. They've confessed to us the misgivings of the government. Mm. And there is a chance for us to be whole and to live that resurrected life, I think, if we can recall this memory that that maybe feels effervescent and intangible, uh, but through story, we can recover it. And so I've been thinking around the lines of rupture being a kind of confession uh, that, that might bring us into closer proximity one, to one another. Uh, obviously, people know that I spend a lot of time doing black brown solidarity work because uh, coalitional work has become so very hard in mm. this moment uh, with competing narratives and competing stories and extracted politics and exploitation and whatnot. And if we can begin to practice a kind of confession that leads us to a kind of memory or resurrected life, I think we can get a little bit closer to what is connected to rupture, which is becoming. Mm. Mm. I love, I love the, I love the way that both of you have kind of, uh, kind of shared this, this texture around the concept of rupture in, in different and yet, um, kind of serendipitous ways. When, when I think of this, this concept or this, um, the act of a rupture, um, I, I think so often, um, for, or for many years, I thought of rupture as an internal thing. I thought of rupture as something that was, um, kind of, uh, it, it was an it was an action, but it was a held within action. So, um, you know, an appendix ruptures. It's a rupture that is within the confines of a space, and therefore it is intimate to that space. What I've come to realize over the last few years, however, is that rupture is actually um, an an explosion, not an implosion. Um, it is the it is the forcing out of particle. It is the forcing out of process. It is the forcing out of ethic, of story, of thought, of narrative, in a way that those things the the the, the explosion the external movement of the thing that is rupturing then touches and comes in contact with other things. Um, it, 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 it forces, rupture forces whatever it is that has moved to then enter into the community or the space or the arena of another. And I think it's in that act, in that explosion, that that pushing out of of the thing, 
that we see our capacity to then kind of knit stories back together because we we have no choice but to recognize rupture once a piece of someone else's rupture has hit us in our heart, in our head, in our being, in our in our gut. Um, we have no choice but to enter into that that rupture with them. And so I love how I love how both of you have kind of contextualized this this understanding of of what rupture can be for us in this move in this move mo- mo- movement and moment. Um, mm. and I, I wonder um, where then you see um, kind of our embodied existence. Our, 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 our beingness, our, ourselves as, um, bodies who are engaged in the work, um, where you see that then folding and knitting itself into the, the context of rupture as we look at it as something that, that has the chance to touch others and change, um, the, the trajectory of the world that we're a part of. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And great question. And for me, immediately I go to writing. I go to writing. I go to books. You know, one of the things that I think is so powerful about the act of writing and the 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 experience of reading um, is that in some sense, it's a very personal journey. You know, when people read books, whether it's self-help books, whether it's history books, whether it's uh, books on, on on politics, whether it's books on theologies, that's a that, that's a that's a very personal and intimate journey. That is a I mean, it's a journey that people go on on, on uh, for themselves and for others and things like that. Like I was talking to one of my boys the other day and and, and, and he was talking about um one of these books, a business book, and we was just, you know, talking about business book. Then we got on a, on the uh, on the topic of bell hooks, um, and, and, and we started talking about relationships and things like that. And so I was like, yo, like, yo, you need to read uh, We Real Cool by Bell Hooks. And I was like, yeah, let's go through it together, whatever. And then uh, we, he was just saying, you know, hey, bro, like, yeah, bro, he's like, he's just like, you know, bro, I just be surfing Google all the time. Like, I love the research. And I'm like, yeah, that's real. Like, that's where it's at. That's where that's where it's at. It's it's in our own journeys. And, and, and I was like, yo, bro, it's nothing like being able to read a book or read something and being able to talk about it. Like, that's that's one of the most like life giving things or like uh, some mus- musician as well and, and play football. So there's nothing like, you know, being able to hear music and and pick up the sticks and play music. There's nothing like being able to practice and then, you know, go from practice to the field and actually apply that thing in the field uh, on the field or whatnot. And so I think, you know, this idea of embodiment, you know, it's, it's wherever we are alive and trying to make meaning or whatnot. And so, of course, you know, there are better ways of making meaning than other ways. So, like, I don't want people to make meaning the way that these people uh, on the political or religious right are trying to make meaning. Their ideas of meaning making are very much bound to myths of the country, myths of, you know, the desirability of what bodies are, be to, uh, what bodies are meant to be loved and what bodies are meant to be hated. This meaning making is very much tied to ideas of, of in some sense, uh, 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 religious narratives and stories that 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 you know that 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 they have inherited that they resonate with that are not not truly the best traditions you know you know there's there's no such thing as this kind of one tradition that people should 
you know, kind of that, that, that we inherited, we, we're kind of, you know, mixture of so many continuities and discontinuities between traditions and theologies and things like that. And so I'm thinking, you know, wherever people make meaning or are trying to generate the best possible meaning uh, for our lives and, and trying to generate the best possible way of living and, and being and becoming together, people may not even call it that being and becoming together. You know, it's us, you know, uh, uh, Sadia Hartman, um, I was reading her book the other day, Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments. She was like, she was, she was, she was talking about the uh, ghetto uh, or, or whatnot. And, and she was um, writing about, uh, about, about the ghetto. And, and she, she, she said, you know, the reformers came in and they, they thought about this. The sociologists came in and they thought about this. And then she juxtaposed it with the actual life that those in, in, in the ghetto, you know, were, 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 were actually experiencing that, that oftentimes like people theorized about their life or they, they wanted to change their life, but, but they didn't necessarily allow people's lives to speak to them about ways in which they could think about the way beauty is experienced, even in the midst of, you know, such brutal circumstances. And so for me, it's like, I, I can only say, you know, where, where I am experiencing that meaning and experiencing that life. And I'm trying to pay attention, particularly through writing and literature. Like I'm seeing, like right now and I'm surrounded by books and I'm looking right now at all these black fiction texts and uh, uh, texts on indigenous knowledge and, and, and theology and fiction and, and, and Derek Bell and, and, and critical race theory texts and history and all these things. And so, I'm trying I'm trying to figure out, you know, how can I take on these stories so that I personally with other people can 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 generate better forms of being together by making my own life and my own faith a kind of multi voice intersectional collective endeavor uh, so that, you know, as uh, Dr. Janika Walker Barnes say that I don't come alone, but I bring the voices of people with me. I bring the voices right. of my people. So, yeah. Right. I am uh, I'm heartened by the work that both of you are doing in the world, and and I know that we are um, quickly approaching our the conclusion of our time together. Um, I'm wondering, Dante, if you could share with our listeners um, what the best way for them to be in touch with you is. Um, Dr. Robin uh, discovered you on Twitter. I know that Twitter is a, a place where uh, you spend and, and share a great deal of yourself. Um, could you share with our, our listeners what the best way of, is for them to be in touch with you and contact with you and, and how they can um, discover your work in, in additional ways. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like you said, Twitter, uh, but then you go to my website, DanteCSteward.com. So Dante, my middle name is Christian, actually. So like C is in Christian, uh, Stewart.com, or you can find me on, on IG at StewartDanteC. And so I usually try and get back to people as best I can, you know, but, you know, as as your influence grows, you know, in some sense, it's, it's getting harder and harder and harder to like get back to people. But I try my best to like go down uh, through my DMs and, 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 and answer people as best I can. But, yeah, hit me up on social media. Um, and, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Come along on a journey and, and, and let's kind of, you know, discover together and let's wrestle and and, and walk through life together. So yeah, that's, that's really the main ways. I'm reminded, uh, your question, Anna, about embodiment, that there's layers of life among us right now. As I hear your baby 
uh, articulate sounds um, as we are talking about black life, about meaning making that, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a cat daddy. I don't have human children, but when we practice the kind of care for the other, as I know you do as a father, we create conditions for marginalized and minoritized bodies to become and to face the rupture that they will inevitably see. And so I'm just reminded of embodiment in the cries of a child that we are alive. We are animating spirits. We are in the mix. We are in the flow. And when we can practice this flow together in coalitional ways, we can be the kind of people we've been waiting for. Thank you, Dr. Robin. Thank you, Dante Stewart. It's been a pleasure to share this time with both of you. Friends, um, please follow us. Do get in touch with both Robin and I on Instagram or Twitter or through the Activist Theology website. We'd love to be in touch with you. Um, we hope that those of you that are in Texas will be joining us in Austin. Um, Dr. Robin and I will be there doing a live recording of the Activist Theology podcast in a few short weeks on August the 6th. We're so excited. Um, we're so excited. You can come and be a part of that gathering free of charge. Um, we just do need you to register. So go to activisttheology.com and um, click on events. You'll see all the information you need about joining us in Austin for the live recording of this podcast. And we will be back next week with um, more ways and um, dreams of how we get our hands dirty in the world and how we are to be the kind of people that we've been waiting for. Dr. Robin, until next time. Let's get free, y'all. We want to thank you for listening this week. We encourage you to share this podcast with your community. If you enjoy us and our work in the world, please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast. We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. I get my hands dirty. I show up so early. They show me no mercy. So I just keep working. Maybe God could save me. Oh, my boss might pay me. You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.